0: At the end of your career, at the end of your life, you want something meaningful that you left behind, that whether it's the people that you touch, right, those that you come in contact with, the organizations that you work for, the community that you live in. you're looking for something bigger than just yourself that you leave it better than, you know, how you found it, but also that you change, hopefully generations to come. You're listening to Culture Champions, a podcast about what it takes to cultivate exemplary work cultures and master sustainable business growth. In each episode, host Zain Hassan sits down with business leaders and experts to bring you in-depth conversations on maximizing value and success in all aspects of your company.
1: So... I can't tell you how excited I am today about this conversation we're about to have with Amanda Reed and Mark Mixer. And for everyone in the audience, this is the first time that we would have had two guests. So it'll give us an opportunity to really understand how two stories converge to become one. So with that, I just wanted to say, Amanda and Mark, really appreciate you all taking the time to join me on the podcast. Thank you. We look forward to it.
0: Thank you for having us.
1: My pleasure. So you typically, we would start and I'd ask, uh, I'd take, you know, for the audience, can you give an overview, two minutes on your background? I'd like to do that with each of you, if you don't mind. Can we start with you, Amanda? Can you give us a two minute overview on your background?
0: Sure. I'll be happy to. I've actually been with Health One Alliance and Alliant Health Plans for just a little over 19 years. Prior to that, just briefly, I owned my own company. And before that, I was really more in the workers' comp space where I'm in the health insurance space now, workers' comp space, and then worked for a provider going way back 25 plus years ago. And so I really spent most of my career right here where I sit today, which is Health One Alliance and Alliant Health Plans I've taken on a new role in the past few years and it's also working with a nonprofit company uh, called Look For It Community. Um, so, in a nutshell, that's kind of where I've been and who I am.
1: What was your role at Live For It and your role within uh, Health One Alliance?
0: So, Health One Alliance and Alliance Health Plans, I'm the Chief Strategy Officer. And that's where I will probably talk about uh, this during the podcast when we talk about Look For It. That's where an initiative called Live For It actually is housed. And then also, of course, Health One Alliance um, is a distinct company that has an affiliate called Alliant Health Plans. And Alliant Health Plans is a health insurance company. Live For It community. Um, I'm the president and CEO, and it's actually a nonprofit, Pile and c 3
1: Thank you. And Mark, can we get the same sort of overview background on you? I will Be happy to. So I've been in the managed care space for
2: almost 37 years, I think now. Uh, We're in Georgia, by the way. I rode the wave as it came from the West Coast, uh, as it made its way through the country. And when it entered sort of Georgia, I was already in the insurance business as a broker, as an employer, kind of health and welfare space as a broker and a consultant. And as managed care came in, I thought I saw that as an opportunity and Within about three years, devoted myself entirely to that, and then a for-profit, publicly traded HMO came into town, and they needed someone that understood that space. And somehow, my name was bantered around, and I got thrown into the administrative side. I loved the admin side, and stayed there ever since. So I've been either the president or executive director of three different HMOs, uh, but really found my home here at Health One about 15 years ago and have been the CEO for the last six. And I think Amanda and I come from slightly divergent backgrounds and that her origin was perhaps a worker's comp, but still under that insurance umbrella. And then mine being in managed care. But I think our co-joining spirit is around making sure the culture is at the center of everything that we do in the company. So she may be the chief strategy officer and I'm the CEO, but really we interplay off each
1: other pretty well. I love that. And with the, I did a pretty in-depth amount of research. To me, this conversation we're about to have is going to have a lot of value because there's so much. I have so many questions. So I can only imagine as we go through our audience is going to be really excited about hearing the answers to those questions. I'd really like to go to a place of kind of telling the background of. Alliance Health Plans or Health One Alliance, because it has some meaningful history in the community in Georgia. And to understand the why, because historically we've had almost all of our guests have been for-profit, but hearing the nonprofit side and being able to kind of talk through how culture integrates with the challenges that come along with building a high-performance team, especially as the business continues to grow. And in your role, as I've seen you've grown from, you know, you've really ascended within the leadership ladder. So your current role. So I, if you don't mind, I'd love to hear the background on the why of and how the organization was started and kind of the history. And that doesn't need to be two minutes. Obviously, this one can be much longer.
2: <laughs> I actually would like to tee it up and give, and I'm going to turn it over to you in just a second, Amanda, because I think this is important. So the organization was started in response to a need within a very tight regional area of Northwest Georgia. We're a manufacturing-centric area up here. Uh, Most of the flooring in all of the world is made right here where we're headquartered in Dalton, Georgia. So we're known as the carpet capital of the world, now the flooring capital of the world, as you will. So many of the organizations here were very large, had tens of thousands of employees, and there were hundreds of those types of organizations and they needed, as managed care began to roll out, they needed access to features that enable them to be efficient in offering a managed care product, one of which at the center of it is what? A network. Yep. Right? So we stood up a network as really our original product and made that available, rented that then to TPAs or to self-funded clients. Right. Amanda is one of the early employees of that. And in a meeting that we had with all our employees about six years ago, she coined a term, and this is where I'm going to turn it over, by the way, heads up, Amanda. She coined sure. a term that we've used over and over again. It's this change the model, not the mission. Our mission was always to support the community. Whatever that opportunity looked like, the way that might get done is different. So with that, as a TM, I'll give that to Amanda, and you can take it the rest of the way, because you know the history as well as I do.
0: Sure. Thank you, Mark. Help one really, as Mark mentioned, was the genesis. That's where we had a majority of our business. And it was really born out of that serving a need that we had in our community. You'll hear me probably reference this a little later on as well, but you know, fifth generation in the community. So I always like to say I was born and raised in this community, but so was Help One and Alliant, right? And just like an individual personally, may be looking to fulfill and serve a need in the community, so was Help One and what also came out of that was also a lion. changed the model, not the mission, which again, we kind of began to say a few years ago. The reason for that was no matter what we do, wherever we go in each of the product lines, that the companies that we drop the product lines and grow into. The point is, what is it that we have within our service area? Whether that's limited to the Northwest Georgia area or all throughout Georgia or into other states that we may look at, what are the needs? Where do we believe that we can best serve the people in that community? And that's really the product lines that we focus on. It's not, you know, we're very fortunate as Alliant Health Plans is a nonprofit health insurance company, and Martin may want to talk a little bit about the history of that license. We're a provider-sponsored healthcare corporation, and the heart and the genesis behind that is serving the needs of our community in a way that we not only are an insurance product, but we also give back. To the community right it's not about what we can get from that community but what we can do for those individuals and what we can give back to the community so as we've changed and we have changed dramatically over the years from a majority of our business being in in the health one side of things those lives there to the covered lives being in alliance the whole purpose was our mission does not change the model and how we serve those that are in our areas, our service areas, our marketing areas. It may look a little different, but the mission remains the same. We're here to serve the communities that we're in. We're generally, we don't go into a market just because we see, oh gosh, this would be a great market for us to be in. We go in because of these provider and community partnerships that we have. We like to say that we go in where we're invited. So, another community sees a need for us. And they a lot of times will invite us in. Hey, what can you do for us? Can you come into our market? We like what you're doing in that Northwest Georgia area. And I think that has organically, even though we've been licensed all throughout Georgia for a long time, I think organically where we've grown, where we have lives is because of those invitations into communities.
2: Perhaps one other element of this. So we've been around uh, 26 years. So I think we've passed the survivability factor, at least uh, for now. Our market has changed. Most of our lives that we have are in the individual market, which anyone in this side of the business on the benefit side knows, you know, that's only been around 10 years, right? Right. Since 2014, even though it was passed in 2010, That's the dominant spotlight in our organization, and it really began to shift the way that we build product, the way that we consider what benefits that we offer, and then to tie back to Amanda's comment, the geography where we offer them. But don't make the mistake, I would not make the mistake, maybe it's a better way to say it, of saying because we're not for profit, that you know, margin is not valuable, right? But our margin requirements, I don't think, are as steep. As they would be if we were in a equity backed or an equity owned or publicly traded environment. I don't have shareholders in that regard, but I still have owners. We're half owned by a hospital system, half owned by providers. but We're a standalone entity. We're about 400 million in revenue a year, and we target a margin of about between two and 4%. For profits, to contrast, would target between five and 6% in the health space. So we get that freedom a little bit that provides a bit of relief, but it's not our driving force.
1: Thank you for that clarity. I think that helps a lot to understand because from a governance perspective, what does the governance look like? I mean, I presume there's a board that you report into.
2: Well, there is. We've got, we have several entities, but they all, in essence, are structured the same. We have some community participation on the board, But there's always a representative from each of the two owners, and it's a 50-50 ownership. It isn't 51-49 or any of that. It's truly a bit of a bubble in the managed care world where you have the hospitals and the doctors collaborating to offer a payment mechanism called an insurance company, right, for the benefit of the community, which was their mission to begin with. So when you put it that way, people go, oh, that makes sense. The operational side of that gets a little challenging sometimes, but we've really been very fortunate in that those two owners are very active in the business. All of our committees, uh, particularly on the clinical side, are housed by our physicians. We don't own them. They own us, in fact. They're participants and part of the ownership. So we've got a very much a clinical driven perspective on how the operations of the company get played out.
1: Just as you're kind of talking through that and using some of the just the language of the owners and the 50-50 is I'm trying to understand to okay, if it's a nonprofit, what is the benefit to the owners if there's four percent margin versus if there's, you know, two percent margin? So we're not for profit, but taxable.
2: I will make that qualification, which is a bizarre situation. Yeah. Let's give an absurd example. You know, this year, what if we made 20 million dollars in, you know, margin? The owners can't get it. Okay. That's the not-for-profit sort of handcuff. It's got to be reutilized and redistributed for the benefit of the community. Now we can retain it, right? And build for growth or expansion or depth, et cetera. But it's a different perspective for the owners. The hospital doesn't sit around and say, well, I hope they make 20 million so we can get our half because otherwise we won't be able to build that new surgical center. That's not the way that the tax codes work. So it protects the intent and the original inception of the organization to benefit the community. I can't find a better way to say it than that's that's always at the heart of what's done, including the products that we designed. It's almost a worldview at this
1: point. I love that you just said that it's almost a worldview, because if I'm thinking about what you just described... And thinking about the concepts of what I am, what we see today in terms of the majority of the, when you try to build a culture that's very people, you know, you're know, you people-centric, but you're high-performing teams, I mean, it is the mission, right? The mission, the why, that's what gets people to show up if they're going to be high-performing team members. And so it just, as you kind of went through that, the fact that this was built in a model where it can, the why can't be for your owner distributions, right? The why is, right. it, it sounds like it's sustainability. And then it's building to keep growing. Uh, But as long as the growth is value added, is that fair to say? Yeah, I I think there's a strategic aspect
2: to it that one side of the health care delivery system now gets to see or have insight into the payment side of things. Because that's really all a health insurance company is, right? It's just a mechanism to manage the day-to-day access to care and then pay for the services. Well, if I don't have access to a health plan, I don't understand that from a hospital or a provider side. So I do think it adds depth and perspective for those providers to understand the holistic approach to health care. And that word I'm using explicitly because why? That's the purpose of caring for the community, right, As a holistic approach. We look at our community as not members of a lion. We look at them as members of the community, whether you're an alliance member, right? We still care for you. We still choose to protect you. We still provide resources that you can access, whether you ever buy one of our products.
0: And I'll just hmm. add to that, you know, we use the word owners and and obviously on the health one side of things, they're owners. When it comes to Alliant, they're really, those providers are founders of Alliant because of that nonprofit piece of thing. And I will just add to that, you know, people use, and Mark cringe a little bit, uh, but people use the word partner way too often. I think this is a unique situation where when you ask, so what's in it for the providers, they actually have a partner in this. So they are there with a very distinct mission to take care of their patients and many times what we find in this world in which you've got providers trying to take care of their patients and you've got insurance companies sometimes that that traditional model is they're at odds with one another yeah, so- because right of each of them having you know it, and Mark talked about the margin it's not that we don't need a margin and it's not that we don't need to be able to compete with other payers I think What is unique about our situation is that when you truly have a partnership between providers and a payer, what happens is you have communication. You're making sure that you are fighting for the same things, working towards the same things, that bigger, better health of the community. And our founders are not the only providers in our network. We have thousands of providers whether that's hospitals, ancillaries, or individual physicians. And the beauty of it is we don't treat our founders any different than we treat the other providers in our network. And I think that's why people welcome us to come into other parts of the state is because they know that the way we treat those founders, which there's an accountability there. We want to make sure that our members are taken care of, that we don't set up administrative hoops and hurdles just for the sake of it, right? To be able to say, no, that our mission is the same. Our mission is to take care of these members, their patients. And then we duplicate that model regardless of where we're at, whether we're sitting in this market here or whether we're working with providers all throughout the state or states. And because of that, they have a partner in this space. We're all trying to do the right thing By those that we're serving. And then the providers in the other parts of the states who are a network provider just like the founders or network providers say that's the way we want to be treated. And I feel like, you know, that's a consistent message that we get back. We can't always make everybody happy. And that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be, you know, the traditional health insurance stuff. There's prior authorizations, there's administrative rules. We are heavily regulated. All of that plays into what we do. But we try to be the partner that you want to be doing business with. And that's part of the value.
1: So if I'm going to take what you're saying and knowing that I hear the word partner quite a bit as well, I'm hearing correctly, it's it's alignment of interests. It's it's true alignment, shared values, and then a shared purpose. And that purpose really is in in the instance of these organizations and of Mark and of you as leaders is to make sure that you are serving the community, and that you are serving the people who decide to spend their lives working within your organizations. Is that fair to say?
2: It is. I think for us, as this matured for us, Amanda and I particularly sat, among others, and we struggled with a way to create a platform in which you could communicate that long-described you know, conversation right. we just had in a simple way, you know, sort of your elevator speech, if you will. And it was really Amanda who came up with this idea that said, you know what, why don't we just ask the question?
1: What are you living for? Right? So tell me about that process. I'd love to hear that. When you say you came up with the idea of asking the question. And And it's all Amanda's brainchild and
2: baby. So I will be quiet on that one. All yours. (sighs) Um, I'll do my best
0: to try to keep that as simple and quick as possible. I will say Mark and I sit in the same position. And I think this is shared by a lot of people, right? Is that at the end of your career, at the end of your life, you want something meaningful that you left behind. That whether it's the people that you touch, right? Those that you come in contact with, the organizations that you work for, the community that you live in, you're looking for something bigger, than just yourself, that you leave it better than, you know, how you found it, but also that you change, hopefully, generations to come. And so because of this unique relationship that we have with providers, as we're constantly having the conversations and asking the questions in our organization of, you know, what our future looks like as an organization, then I started to look at this uniqueness that we have with the providers, what is it that we're all trying to achieve? What is it that we're trying to align on? And where are we not aligned? Where can we get more by working together? One of the things, and again, five generations in this community, our roots are here, whether it's as an individual or as a company, our roots are here and they're deep. And so what is it that we can do that can be different that can look different than what we've done in the past that we could do together that would make a lasting impact. And that's how do we take care of people? Mark mentioned that we looked for simple ways to talk about our culture and that's care, connect, and protect. And so what is it that we can do to live out those words? And so the way to do that is to try to impact lives for generations to come. And so Live For It was really born out of how to improve and increase the longevity of the members that we serve, but also our friends, our family, our neighbors. How is it that we can live longer together, but not just live longer, but live healthier, right? This is not just about taking care of sick and disease states, which is certainly important, but we want to be healthier for that long run. And then, of course, together, we all want to be happier. You don't want to just live longer, but you want to live healthier and you want to live happier. There's all kinds of research that talks about what you should and shouldn't do. There's a whole lot of noise right? before the internet, but certainly now that there is mm-hmm. the internet, a whole lot of noise about what you need to do. But the question for us was, what is it that we can do to talk about this research, lifespan and environment that 70% of or more of your lifespan can be impacted by the lifestyle and environment you live and less than 30% um, on genetics. And so for me, that was a message of hope, a message of, you know, that's something that we can impact. And then it's a matter of connecting though, not just how to live longer, healthier and happier. But you talked about it earlier, the why. And so we asked the questions, we connected hearts and minds and saying, what's really important to us is why we want to live longer, healthier, and happier. And we kind of coined that as our it, live for it. And each of those has meaning even within the word.
1: Yeah, just there's a lot of depth behind your live for it and for the audience there's a ted talk that i heard that amanda had given which really gave you her personal experience and kind of how you coined the live for it is that fair to say
0: it is yes
1: and i'd highly encourage anybody listening to watch it because it really got me fired up before this you know candidly and that's where i think when you talk about the 30 percent being genetics and you the quantity of people that are probably under the perception that they are they have what I call a, a scarcity mindset because they feel like their past might decorate their future. Right? But you know, the data has shown that's not the case, right? That 70% of your future is going to be dependent on the decisions you make today and what you do have control over. And you mentioned in, in that video, the idea of removing toxic people from being around people that you want to be around, the people that lift you up so when you guys look at recruiting, because the healthcare industry has certainly has its challenges and it's particularly around what I'll call alignment of incentives. And I happen to have a, a rather unique viewpoint because I've been in it for quite some time as a consultant, but I'm trying to understand how do you recruit or how do you take those core values and say, okay, we're going to make sure that we are building a high performance team when you're evaluating and your people against those core values.
2: Well, I think that's really the question, right, Zane? It's what we've struggled with. I don't think, I mean, you can nod in agreement with this. It wasn't, but a few years back, I can remember, we would absolutely all agree, even three or four years ago, five years, we had a good culture, right? We never had a bad, we had a toxic culture at one time, but that's been many years ago. But I think for the last six, seven years, we've had a good culture, I think we had a desire to up the game on it and really crystallize and cement it in place. And we would challenge ourselves and say, we're not ready to commit to the investment in that culture until we truly believe in that age-old mantra of culture trumps everything, Right. And we say it, and everybody goes, oh, yeah, culture trumps everything. And you go, really? So if we have one employee who we can personally hold responsible for bringing in millions of dollars to our benefit, and they're not the right fit for us culturally, are we willing to let them go? And we would go, well, it all depends, right? And the minute that you balk on that answer, then you know you're not committed to culture. Right. And it took us a while, I think, for us to all get on the same field and say, yep, you know what? We're committed. So now becomes the challenge of we do it this way. This is not vaporware for us any longer. It's not a pipe dream. We're actually living it out. And it's a daily, never-ceasing vortex that does not have a beginning or an end. They see it innocently in places where we've got it inscripted on glass that they pass by. They hear it over and over again, the same words. They see emblems of it. They see it then lived out in the stories that we tell about employees who organically pick up that mantle and say, you know, my employer has this mission, and here's how I'm going to play And then we applaud that. We tell those stories. We're very big on storytelling. And we're always looking for ways to improve upon that. You marry that up against that hard stop of performance management, right? And the way we've done that is we've included performance 360 evaluations in light of how you're living out the culture. That now then brings to you, okay, if that's how we treat the people who are a part of the team, how do we get more people like that to be a part of the team? And so that then became a process. We're looking at our onboarding questions, the way that we onboard people, the questions we ask, and that's being clarified, even as we speak, that's in the middle of the process right now. You want to add anything to that, Amanda? Is that fair?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the only thing I'll add is it's not easy. You know, when you ask about the recruiting process, it's not easy because I think, so I'll go back to something Mark said about the storytelling It's almost our interview process, which sometimes is one-on-one, but many times is, you know, several of our staff interviewing that one candidate. And we're talking about for all positions, you know, it doesn't matter what the position is within our company, because what we're looking for is just like we can tell stories and try to tell stories about our staff and how they're living out this culture. We want the same through that recruitment, that interview process. We ask questions, trying to compel them to give us examples about themselves, other companies, whatever the case may be, in which they can provide us with stories. And through that, sometimes it's just a process in which someone, through that storytelling, through those questions, through that recruitment, which, again, could be that needle in a haystack, you know, they share with us things that we say that aligns with who and what we are. But the recruitment process is a difficult one. It's a difficult one right now to even find folks, much less if you're going to try to be so discerning. I'll call it particular, right? That you've got somebody that aligns with your culture and you're willing to wait for that individual, that candidate. that's hard. It's really hard to find them and then also to wait for them.
1: That. To answer the question, to me, it's it's a never ending thing that where your standards are so high, the labor market's so unique right now that to find the candidates, but to make sure that you've got a panel to ensure, because one individual interviewing could have an emotional bias that it's developed, right? What I've found is it's only through a consistent process where the whole team uh, of people that are have shown consistently their commitment to the culture and the core values and how they act. Not when people are watching, but how they're acting when nobody's watching, right? right? That Then you can have that uh, sort of panel or interview committee. And then from there, it's, okay, how do we coach them up consistently so they can keep developing once they've joined? If they made the cut, which is such a small percentage of people, right? How do we coach them up and make sure that they continue to understand their areas of improvement? Because part of giving them or serving them is getting them better. It's making them the best version of themselves. So we just formalized, it's been in
2: play for a little while, but we just sort of formalized it and put it out to all of the employees literally just last week in which once you become competent at the role that we hire you in, the next stage, if you will, is not how do I move up the ladder from a promotion? It's how do you add and continue to add value to the organization? And the idea behind this is you create a little bit of capacity of the job you're given and then if we can identify what your talents and your passions are, we give you an opportunity to pursue that within the structure of the organization. So we had an executive assistant who, for some reason, had a passion to develop an intranet. And she went and did it and then came to me and I went, in fairness, I was just saying, you know, that's not your job, right? Your job is an executive assistant. Why are you doing it? But she did such a great job. And we went, you know what, this is exactly what Amanda and I have been talking about all this time, we've got to provide a formal way in which we give employees that freedom. So we actually created another role in which that then got borne out for her. We didn't move her up in incomes. We didn't give her a different title. But her contribution now to the organization is 110% more than it would have been had we not provided that capacity for her.
1: I love that. That was a great, even adjusting the right people and the right seat to making sure they're in the right seat. You know, this has been a great conversation and there's a lot of questions I know that the audience will probably have, but we're out of time. So what would be the best? And I'd like to bring you all back because I think the next conversation will be one where we'll have a lot of hind- what your insights and looking back, because you're sort of in the middle of really implementing and we're always in the middle of really implementing, but it sounds like you're really in the middle of implementing profound change. What would be the best way for the audience to get in touch with either of you if they had questions?
2: Oh, good grief. Probably the easiest question to ask and hardest one to answer.
1: I, Oftentimes I would, LinkedIn is... Or, yeah. Yeah. LinkedIn, Mark Mixer, my LinkedIn, certainly. If I have your I can drop it down in the show notes. The audience knows. But would great. you prefer LinkedIn or your email? Email is absolutely fine. Okay. I have no problem. And Amanda, how about you?
0: Same. Well, I'll provide an email for that.
1: Okay. I can't tell you how much i appreciate this conversation i'm excited for the next one i'm excited for y'all's organization and you made me you know, significantly more aware just every day and how i'm showing up so it was, it was a great conversation thank you zay
0: thank you for having us thank you thank you for listening to the culture champions podcast we hope you enjoyed today's episode you'll find links to any resources mentioned in the show notes If you're enjoying our show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And if you have someone you'd like to hear on the show or a topic you'd like to see covered, please email pat.davisbryant at risktag.com.